Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I'm here tonight with a special guest co-host, Chris from the Redemption Podcast. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And we are here tonight to talk about many things, but in particular, we're going to talk about playing an established IP. This is a topic we have covered here on here before, uh, but I don't believe we've had Chris on for this particular topic, which is very you know relevant to your actual play that you play in because you play in an established IP. I believe it's called the Star Conflicts. Star Wars. Star Wars. Yes, Close. that's it. That's it. Uh, some people have heard of it. I don't know how popular it is, but yeah. I... <laughs> it's slightly popular. <laughs> to some. It, you, you wouldn't believe that based off the internet, uh, but uh, some people seem to like it. But before we get into that, we always like to take a moment, take a step back and talk about why we're here in general. The point of these faculty meeting conversations is that at some point, Chris and I are going to say something, hopefully, that you will be able to take back to your table, some sort of nugget of wisdom that will help you run your games better. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Chris, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your table are having a good time, you're doing it right. Absolutely. So with that out of the way, Chris, what you been up to, buddy? What's been going on? Ooh, a lot of things right now. Uh, now that I don't have a herniated disc, I'm able to go do things again. Yay! Hey. Uh, so like this past weekend, uh, the Boy Scouts did a game day. Did a one-day little convention where we did board games and role-playing games and all sorts of stuff. That was a lot of fun. I got to play a World War II miniature game that mm. I thought was going to take an hour. Four hours later, still trying to figure <laughs> out how to win. Yeah. It was different. It was a chain of command. So you're not so much killing the other team. You're doing things which lowers their morale. Oh, okay. So when you get rid of all their morale, they run away. Oh, okay. It took a while because I'd shoot, then you roll to see the effect. Well, nothing happens. Well, then oh. why did I roll to hit? Like, <laughs> I don't grasp these game mechanics. So it was neat. Uh, it was pretty successful. We had a lot of new faces that showed up for it uh, a lot of other scout groups showed up and now i'm being told there's probably going to be two or three other troops within an hour of here that are going to do the same thing nice so it's catching on that was kind of yeah, neat there we go spreading the virus that's what we're trying to do <laughs> of course that's kind of topical right now probably shouldn't make fun of that uh so let's just say that you're spreading the hobby the yes. love yes that works better yeah works a little bit better uh other than that uh, finally getting back to doing the uh, grappling and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu I was doing before. Uh, loving that. Don't quite have the stamina I had a year ago. Oh, sure. Yeah, you've been off for a while. Yeah, but I'll get back to it. It's been a lot of fun to actually get out and do that stuff again. What's new with you? Um, Same old, same old. Obviously, Catacon. Uh, I feel like at this point, it's now just become a year-round <laughs> year thing that we talk about. I used to try to kind of compartmentalize it in just to a few months because a large percentage of the people who listen to the show don't care. Uh, <laughs> but it's probably the most important thing that I do right now, other than exist and you know be a father and a husband. Uh, it takes up a lot of time. 
And uh, just just today, right before we came, I came down to record, I was working on the uh, budget worksheet based off of last year. Basically, I copied and pasted last year's mm-hmm. and then reformatted it. Uh, so it's, you know, just kind of playing with the numbers. We've had a couple of our special guests who've committed, some who have said they can't. So I'm looking at how that affects our, our budget as far as, cause, you know, paying for people and hotels and everything. So just getting involved with that, the Kickstarter goes live next month, March 26th, around 3 p.m. Eastern is when the Kickstarter will go live. And I do hope, even if you can't come, if you listen to the show and you want to support us, you know, throwing two bucks on Kickstarter towards our Catacon would be huge. Absolutely. Of course, you know, the Patreon is open around all the time. That would be awesome as well. Um, lock and Key is a comic book series that I got into when Tom got me back into comics a few months ago. And I really, really liked Lock and Key. It's one of my favorites. And there's a new Netflix show coming out this coming Friday. This episode, I'm going to try to turn around and edit this week. So if you're listening to this right now, then I mean this coming Friday, February 7th, I think. Yep. And I think we're going to try to do a live watch party for the first time. So 9 p.m. Eastern, we're going to get onto like a Discord channel and watch the show together. You know, basically, we all watch it ourselves, but we're communicating uh, to talk about it. So hopefully it'll be fun. Sounds like it. Because if it's a bad, well, I guess if it's bad, that could be fun too. But I really hope the show is going to be good because I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be uh, in Nashville, Tennessee uh, a couple times a year. Me and a bunch of friends, we rent some big cabins and we just spend a weekend gaming. So that's kind of where a catacomb started. Yeah. <laughs> that was the plan. So you might be driving by me. I'm in Kentucky these days and actually not far from Tennessee border. So depending oh. on how you drive, I might give a wave by on the interstate. Yeah, we'll be going. Basically through Louisville. I don't know how far you are from there. No, that that you you'd be diverting from me a little oh. bit there. If you if you keep going down seventy five south, you run straight into me. Gotcha. Um, so the other thing is the same day that the Acaticon Kickstarter goes live is the unofficial first day of the faculty retreat. That's the day that we drive up, uh, which for me now is even longer. It's a five hour drive, and now I got to add three hours on top of it to get up to where everyone else is. Uh, but I always strategically plan that the last couple of years so that once I hit go on the Kickstarter, I can't fuss with it for hours because I'm in a van driving to Michigan. So hopefully things go smoothly because if something goes wrong, I can't help help it there either. But it keeps me from hitting refresh every five seconds yeah. for 10 straight hours. Uh, but I love the faculty retreat. Again, I've talked about it many times. It's probably my favorite gaming weekend of the year. It's so stress-free, just getting together, playing games with my friends, and uh, I'm so looking forward to it, man. It's it's just crazy. I agree. So anything in particular you're looking forward to at this faculty retreat we can chat about for a second before we move on? I want to play Legendary. I know yep. you and I are both I will big fans of that. Definitely that. Yep. I wouldn't mind snagging a few guys to play Battlestar Galactica. I really like that board game. We talked about that during our um, favorites episode, right? Yep. I won't say I'm obsessed with the game but obsessed with trying to find people to come play it with me. So instead of two times a year, I'm shooting for three. Gotcha. Okay. I, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a, a few people coming that might be interested in that game. Now, if somebody's not faculty, could they still come to the faculty retreat? Is there a way that they can get an invitation? So, yes. Um, if you are a Catacon Kickstarter VIP you get an invite. If you've ever been in a Catacon Kickstarter VIP, you kind of get an informal invite. And there's a few people who are friends of friends who get invited. 
because we're pretty small. We like so far we've never maxed out. So I'll just throw this out here. If you're going to be in Michigan in March, late March, and you would like to come, let me know. We can probably work something out, even if it's not for the full weekend. Maybe you can drop in for a game or two. Uh, you know, again, we're we're not trying to be exclusionary to people, but it's also not something we can just open up to everyone. That wouldn't work either. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Legendary, top one of the th- games top of my list, obviously. The new expansion just came out for Shield. There'll be another one. The Asgard expansion will be out. I'll have, I'll have it as well. Uh, and then I want to run a, a, a session of my RPG that I'm playing around with, Action 12 Cinema. I ran a, a session at Catacon, and it went great. People really awesome. had a good time. And I just want to try it again, get some new people, get some more feedback. Um, who knows if anything will ever come of it? I don't know. I don't. I don't have enough ambition to really <laughs> put in the work for this stuff. But uh, it's it makes me feel good when I run a session of anything and people have a good time, and people really seem to dig this particular thing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least keep fiddling around with it. Hey, why not? So anyway, and I'm sure there'll be a full. I'm sure we'll do like an, a post equity retreat. Um, episodes so people can hear like what all we did and what all was fun like and the good stuff uh so just a reminder before we get into the show proper we are trying our best to get some additional itunes ratings and reviews obviously anywhere in the world is awesome but in particular usa that's where the majority of our listeners come from so if you out there listen to our show and have not yet given us a rating or a review on the itunes podcast app thingy please consider taking a few moments to do so. Ratings are great. Reviews are a little bit better, especially if they're positive. Uh, but as of right now, we have 130, which is not bad. Like there's, There are so many podcasts right now that yeah. would love to have 130 reviews. I mean, just they would love it. But for a show that's been around for as long as we have, and frankly to be as popular as we were for a while and as well known, 130 is kind of low. So our goal for this year, 2020, is to get to 220. Obviously, 2020 would be better, but I'm not stupid. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> uh, we've added four already, which is fantastic, but we need about eight a month for the rest of the year to get there. But, uh, you know, again, even if we get to just 131, I'll count that as a small win because we've gotten more. But please, if you're out there, consider jumping on iTunes. If you don't do iTunes, I get it. If there's any way for you to do any sort of review, whether it's Stitcher or Spotify, thumbs up, plus buttons, I don't know. Help us out. Share us with a friend. We have a really good retention rate. If we can get someone to listen, we can usually keep them as listeners. It's just getting our show in front of people is, is sometimes the problem, and reviews help do that. Uh, if you have any questions for the show, any comments, concerns, you can email us, uh, therpgacademy at gmail.com. And of course, we have Twitter and Facebook, both at the RPG Academy. Um, if you want to give them your socials and your contact as well, and then we'll jump into the show. Uh, mostly I can be found on Twitter, uh, Burlu underscore Chris. And otherwise, you can hear me on the Redemption podcast and a few others that I like to guest on. All right. Fantastic. So the concept for tonight's show is playing an RPG in an established setting with, you know, IP, intellectual property, where you're playing a game like Star Wars, for mm-hmm. example, where people, particularly the players, the GM, probably already have an idea of some sort of canon. Like we know Luke was born. We know the Death Star 1 and 2 and all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> So how do you input your world or your game into a world 
that has so much history that is shared. And if you deviate from that history, you're going to confuse people, which you can do, but you just got to make sure you're careful about like an alternate history. But how do you also put them into a world where they can rub shoulders, rub elbows with some of these established canon characters in a way that doesn't feel false? You know, again, are you going to let your characters kill Luke Skywalker before the first Death Star? Yes or no? If you need to think about that. And right now it seems like, just looking at Kickstarter, there's a ton of RPGs that are set in established worlds. And a lot of people do their own. I mean, I don't think there's an official Harry Potter RPG, but I know that there are people who play in that world. There's comic book uh, RPGs where you can play, and obviously in the comic worlds, MCU. Um, Altered Carbon is one I saw just today. Uh, I didn't watch the show, don't know anything about it. Apparently the author's kind of a deal hole, but people love the show and love his work, so whatever. The Witcher, I just watched that. Um, so I thought it'd be a good idea to bring Chris on because you have so much experience with this. And again, it's all opinion, mm-hmm. but I want to hear what your thought process was when you said, hey, we're going to play in an established IP. One more thing, and then I'll let you speak for a while. Um, it's probably a little different if this is a podcast versus just your home table. But in either case, you can do whatever you want. But with a podcast, I think you have to be a little bit more explicit to the audience because you've got people that aren't at the table that also need to be able to understand what the differences are or how they connect to canon versus the ones at your table. So let's focus on just a table because not everyone does a podcast. If, if you're going to podcast, figure that out yourself. So <laughs> Chris. Uh, Star Wars or any other IP, what are some of the considerations you start with on how to maximize the impact of of using a world that has so much already built in? The first thing I look at, how much knowledge of the IP do the players have? Okay. I've run Star Wars where people are like, oh, I've seen a couple of the movies. Okay. That tells me if I describe Jabba the Hutt, I need to go into more detail, not just what he looks like, but what he is in the universe not just oh it's a big slug he's a gangster that runs a very powerful organization he's part of this hut council really building that so they understand truly what this npc is flip side if i've got somebody who's like oh i'm a diehard star wars fan i've got all the movies comic books i'm like okay well java comes up what do you do they're like oh no like they already know what the character is they've already established in their head what their interaction is going to be Uh, the other thing that i really keep in mind where am i going to get my research from to keep the players happy with staying in the canon so like for star wars wikipedia wikipedia is awesome it details both canon and what they call legends because that's what disney doesn't accept as part of the actual main storyline is now called legends Right. It used to be extended universe. Yep. Anything that didn't cross over and stay canon became Legends. Yeah. And talking about that with your players, are we going to bring Legends stuff in or are we going to just stick with canon and go with the players' ideas and what you want to do? Wikipedia makes it really easy in one hand. I'd be surprised at the number of desert planets there are in Star Wars. <laughs> Check out Wikipedia. Most of them are uh, either desert planets, ice planets, or jungle planets. And they all have one ecosystem generally. So the entire planet is an ice planet. doesn't matter where you go on the planet. It's an ice planet. Which in a way makes it easier for you as a game master 
because you already have established descriptions of those planets, what's there, what to expect. At the same time, it sometimes makes it a little more difficult because it takes away a little bit of your creativity because you have to stick with what's already written. And well, and, and just to, to, the, to the ice planet thing, because it is kind of silly, but I, from a high level, I understand it. Because if we're playing in a established world like Eberron, and mm-hmm. I'll probably talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, there are places in Eberron that are like Arctic wastes. And in the course of a game, we might start in like a large city, and then we might go to like the jung- jungles of Zendrick, and then we might go to the demon wastes, which are like a you know desert, and then we might go to, I can't think of the name right now, but it's where the Arctic wastes are. But we're traveling within a world. But in Star Wars, it's all spaceships. So me traveling to the demon waste in Eberron is just like you jumping into a spaceship and flying to Tatooine or Jakku or somewhere else like that. So if you think about it, each planet is its own ecosystem just because it's just a, it's, so, it's so easy to travel between them. It's the same as being on a terrestrial map, but each planet is its own location versus just a you know temperate zone in the world. Uh, if you don't think about it too hard, it makes sense that way. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's the fun thing, too, because they have maps of the different planets, but I haven't found a role-playing system that really does a good job of describing how long it takes to travel. So I always tell people it's speed of plot. <laughs> yep. So it takes however long it needs to to get there. I wish they would do a little better job because it would help out a little bit when you're telling your story of, oh, three weeks passes as you travel from Tatooine back to Coruscant versus what do you want to do on the ship? Okay, time passes. Because it would help in the overall bigger picture of the game. Yeah, I think that's one of the things where it probably, I don't know, I'm going to be talking on my butt here for a minute. I'm one of those people that is really big on, it takes three weeks to get to the Cave of Wonders. You're now at the Cave of Wonders. Like, I'll take like Mm -hmm. a three-second breath, three weeks have passed, unless I want there to be something important that happens in those three weeks. We just kind of skip over that to get to the more interesting stuff. And I think that's totally fine, totally acceptable. It's also okay to take like an entire session, you know, two or three hours in a, of a, say a session, three hours a week, and play out, even if it's not a lot of action, just role play. Like, you know, you spent three weeks traveling. You're basically all by yourselves. It's just the three or four or five of you. Each night you're traveling through the woods and, or, you know, traveling through the woods during the day. You're resting at night. What do your characters talk about? What do they do? You know, does the wizard research spells? Does the barbarian practice? Does the monk do whatever? And it's like a downtime, to use the fifth edition terms. You know, do you let them do downtime things? But I'm okay with saying three weeks have passed, and we kind of we back end do all that and say, okay, over the last three weeks, what will happen? You know, just take five minutes to do all that. But in an established world like Star Wars, for example— if it takes three weeks of hyperspace travel, what has changed? You thought you were going to Coruscant for X, Y, or Z. You show up, now there's a planetary blockade, or a senator has been assassinated, or the Jedi Temple has been attacked. A lot can happen if you're, quote-unquote, like in hyperspace, you can't get a lot of information. So you can use those three weeks to drastically change the world, but you kind of have to know what you're doing. You can't just... I mean, you can't just make it up, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, it's, it's basically, it's how you want to use it. You can use it for a lot, for a little or for nothing. And I think all three are fun and it's fine to do it differently. Each, you could, you could do three weeks travel three different times and each time do it differently. Totally cool. And that usually happens 
for me. Usually it is, oh, we want to spend three weeks doing this, or we want to spend three weeks actually role-playing through what we do. Whatever people want to do, I'm happy with. That's why I always ask the question, what do you want to do while you travel? Mm-hmm. Um, you actually kind of already started what I was actually going to kind of go into next with. I'm good for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, established IPs, because you don't have to research a lot of the smaller details, you are able to focus on really developing a bigger overall storyline. Like I do it a lot with Star Wars where I've planned 10 sessions, so to speak, of time of what's going to happen. So I know as they go, there's an overall story going on in the background and the players are interacting within that story. Since I don't have to research what Kashyyyk is, I can spend my time thinking about what's going on with the Wookiees and when the players get here, if they help the Separatists, how does that affect the Wookiees? Okay, now the Wookiees, this is what happens with them. How is that going to affect the Senate? Which is how is that going to affect the Republic? Um, most of the stuff I do is set in the Clone Wars because that's my favorite time. So it really helps me develop a big overall story versus really focusing on each individual session. Which for me is a lot of fun as a game master. I'm not the greatest at doing one shots i'm working on it i really okay. like planning long-term stuff um, so again i know you've got a plan and i will continue to disrupt it nope, nope, go ahead. so here's my biggest problem that i have run into and this, again anyone's listened to the show for a long time has probably already heard me talk about this but for example i love eberron it's my mm-hmm. favorite official setting it's the one i would love to play in if, if i could get someone to run it for me and back, I think this was fourth edition time. It was when the group that I had in Ohio, uh, you know, Rocky and Brad and Travis and Nick and Ryan, um, that was just forming. Like, I don't think we had all of those people, but I had a couple of them. And we were, you know, we were building towards that. And I said, you know what? I will run Eberron because I love Eberron. I want to play in Eberron. I want to share Eberron with you. Let me run Eberron. But most of them, other than Brad, had no idea what Eberron was. So I took my, again, I think this is fourth edition books, and I broke down sections of the book for like, so Dragon Marked, again, I'm not going to go all over it here, but it's a big part of Eberron. Okay. So I basically transcribed, because I didn't have access at the time to cut and paste and, you know, from mm-hmm. PDFs or whatever. So I literally just retyped from the book like three pages of stuff about. Dragon March. I kind of summarized it and condensed it and said, here's everything you need to know about Dragon Marked houses in general. And I emailed that to them and said, here, please read this. I did this. And this was over weeks and weeks and weeks. I didn't do it all at one time. It was over probably a good month or two. And I did that for Dragon Shards. And I did that for each of the houses. And I did that for, you know, Sharn, which was the big city we would start in. Do you want to take a guess at how much of that any of them read? To the point that when we started, they actually had any information about the game that I sent them. One person. No, because Brad already knew it. None of the others read it. Oh. No one read it. Any of it. So it was a complete bleeping waste of time. (laughs) And to me, that's part of, like, that's a frustration. I'm not trying to give my players grief. I do that plenty Mm -hmm. enough. But, I mean, that's not what this is about. But if you're going to play an Eberron, they need to know what Eberron is, at least some of it because otherwise yep. it's just generic fantasy world like what makes Eberron Eberron is the dragon mark houses it is the dragon shards it is the inner politics of all the different things and if they don't know any of it 
you can still get by because I can explain it as we go. And I can do the thing like, well, your character would obviously know that House Vidalis, blah, blah, blah. You know, I could just kind of right. give them information as we go. But it's not as much fun for me is if they already know and say, oh, we need to go to House Vidalis because of this. Or, oh, we need to take a Leander uh, skyship because of this. Star Wars feels different because I imagine if you're saying you're going to play Star Wars, most of the people have probably watched the movies at least, mm-hmm. if not read something, you know. But when you play D&D, you can get people who have never heard of the Forgotten Realms, who've never heard of Dark Sun, who've never heard of Eberron. Maybe they've watched Lord of the Rings and all have them at the same table. It feels different to me. Does that make any sense? Am I just absolutely blabbering? Okay. So what would be your advice then for, let's, let's say you get someone at your table who maybe only watched the first Star Wars movie of the prequels. They watched Fan, uh, the Phantom Menace, didn't care for it because it's the Phantom Menace. Right. And then, but wants to play with you because, you know, family member, friend, whatever. They don't know anything about Star Wars. How do you compensate for that and le- and make the world feel as rich as it is to someone who doesn't come with all that knowledge built in like you're expecting? I would start them small, put them on a planet that really isn't in any of the bigger stories. You know, maybe throw them on Dressel. Most people have no idea what Dressel is, but it's kind of... I have of no a, idea what that is. Ah, it's a, a little temperate planet. Uh, it has some impact in some of the stories, but it's not one of the major ones. Start them there. Maybe they're a farmer. They're working there, and they have some encounters, and they have to learn a little bit more about the politics of what's going on. Um, you know, if it's in the Clone Wars, they're going to get pulled into the Clone Wars. doesn't matter if you're a farmer or you're a politician they're going to try to pull you in one direction or the other. So I can introduce you to a lot of that storyline from Star Wars and give you a character that wouldn't know a lot of that. Because again, a farmer, he doesn't care what's going on in the Senate on Coruscant. He cares about growing his crops and selling them. So I can pull you in that direction slowly and as a player teach you some of the lore of Star Wars and not have to just expect you to know a bunch of stuff. Gotcha. Now, that puts a lot of work on me because now I have to really go into a lot of detail about some of that stuff. And I have to have the patience when they go, you know, who's Palpatine? (laughs) And you're like, oh, how do you not know the Emperor? Oh, wait, you only watched The Phantom Menace. He wasn't really, he was there, but he wasn't the Emperor. He was just a senator. So then, you know, explaining to him, oh, you know, he was the senator you saw in the first movie. This is what he looks like. He took over, you know. Senate by laying siege to his own planet. Not the nicest guy. Yeah. Um, And then from there, you know, again, just grow their knowledge slowly. I also would encourage them to watch some of the better stuff. I would say, you know, maybe start with the Clone Wars. Because then they're only half-hour episodes, or Rebels. So you can get into some of the lore in smaller doses and build them up to it. I wouldn't want them to jump into... You know, some of the later movies not knowing the the previous storylines. But I think Rebels, Clone Wars, you can jump into those and not have to really know a lot of the the background of that or the future of it. Mm-hmm. And they're well done. I mean, I've watched Clone Wars three or four times through. Uh, Rebels, I've only watched it through once. But my son loves it, so we'll probably watch it again. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to translate here. Uh, not translate, but just extrapolate that as much as I wanted my players to read 
all the stuff that I sent them. I knew better. I knew they weren't going to, but I thought maybe they would. But I probably, if I could find or think of a a movie or a TV show that feels like Eberron to me, okay. I could give them that homework and mm-hmm. say, you know what, you're never going to read Eberron, but go watch watch Flash. Excuse me, go watch Flash Gordon. It's not Eberron, but it feels a little bit like it. it's that sort of epic, yeah. you know, uh, over the top fantasy, but not really. Or whatever the case may be, if you want to, you know, Forgotten Realms, there are official D and D movies or Star Wars, Star Trek. You know, pick out a couple episodes or a particular movie and say this at least will give you the feel of what we're going for, and then I can fill in the details as we go. I mean, there are official D and D movies, but they weren't necessarily the greatest either. No, they were terrible, most of them. Yeah. Uh, and again, you can go back and listen to our episodes where we reviewed them. It's one of the few times we go negative. Yeah. They were interesting, to say the least. They were f- images that moved with s- yes. corresponding sound. Yeah, such potential. But they're working on a new one, apparently. Really? Um, Joe Magniello, or I can't say his name. He got the super buff dude who's on True Blood and is married oh, to yeah. Sophia Varaga. Apparently, he's working with them on a Dragonlance Ooh. movie. That, I guess that's like his setting that he started with. So That's one of my favorite settings. Yeah, I would so, be interested uh, in that. God. Hey, Netflix, go get with him. Do it as a series <laughs> so you can do it right. You don't have to do just a movie and cram 800 pages into a two hours. Take your time to develop it. I mean, like The Witcher, basically. Yeah. yeah. And Netflix, since I'm so important, I know you're listening. Yeah. So take that down. Well, what I'll say is Netflix, right now I pay $17 a month for you, mm-hmm. but I actually watch more Hulu than anything, and it's cheaper. So maybe you need to step <laughs> your game up. I'm not saying that because <laughs> I think we watch more Netflix right now. Yeah, I watch more Hulu than anything right now. But but again, I think Netflix is almost like utilities. Like I can't imagine not having Netflix anymore. Right. But maybe that's just because I'm a stupid American consumer. Oh, I'm with you. What are your thoughts on throwing established uh, characters from canon into your games? Do you do that? I have on occasion. Not not as much because I haven't. I, I think I I think I have ran or played in a couple Star Wars mm-hmm. games, but not many. Most I most always play D and D. I've done that more with superheroes when I run the Marvel games. Obviously, you know some of the actual heroes pop in and out. But my overall thought would be, if it's a one shot, then I'm much more likely to let the players have an ability to influence canon, with the understanding that it could go wrong. So. It's one of those, and you know, it's a parallel storyline. So you've got Luke on the Death Star. Your game is set also on the Death Star. You're doing things that are unbeknownst to the movie, but if you fail, then the Death Star doesn't actually explode. It's like it's like the untold story of why the Death Star actually exploded, and it's a one shot. So mm-hmm. if they succeed, you can be like, "Yeah, you're the untold heroes." And if it fails, like, "Well, sorry, in this world, the Death Star didn't explode." But you never have to deal with the consequences because it's just a one shot and you're never going to touch it again. If it's a long-term established game, I'm probably going to try to keep the main cast of characters two steps away. You know, so you might interact with people who are secondary in the movies or stories that you know in those movies and stories interact with the first character. So like um, somebody who who was a pilot in the spaceship 
that Leia was in, blah, 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 mm-hmm. but not actually Leia herself or Luke or Han, that kind of thing, just because I'm, af- I'm afraid of trying to, again, getting too in deep and then, quote, unquote, messing up the canon or having, not really messing it up because I don't care, but then trying to have to go, okay, if the first Death Star didn't get blown up, how does that change everything that I now have to, to you know, think of right. going forward? Because we now live in a world where that didn't happen. And I just don't have the brain capacity to try to recreate the entirety of Star Wars minus that one event. I agree. I don't have that ability either. I, I have run a one-shot where you play a maintenance crew on the Death Star. That was fun. I think I played in that. We actually recorded it. We were going to release it. And then somebody's audio, might have been yes. mine, messed up and we didn't get to release it. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's it's a much more lighthearted game. Yes. It's not one that's very serious. You're You're... Not the best maintenance crew, so to speak. Um, I agree with you with the NPCs that it's a slippery slope. I use them. I will let the the PCs interact with them when it needs to be an impactful moment. But I'm very selective of when that's going to be. Just for, well, two reasons. One, what you said. I don't want to change canon too much. I want the players to help the canon, not change the canon. So they will interact with Yoda, for example, as he comes over and gives them some sort of wise wisdom and then sends them on a mission. And they're like, oh, wow, Yoda knows who we are. Mm-hmm. He's probably forgotten two minutes but, after they leave. Yeah, but they don't save Yoda's life. Exactly. And if they fail, Yoda's dead. Now we have to deal with that. Yeah. Usually it's something, uh, just an interaction, not a combat or something else. I know when, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I know when I first started thinking about bringing those characters in, my biggest fear, not fear, my biggest concern was uh, I'm not a master of a thousand voices. I've got got three pretty good ones. (laughs) That's Uh, two more than me. Yeah. uh, And one is mostly just me yelling. (laughs) I had to figure out how to bring those NPCs in and not worry about the voice. And what I really learned is take my time describing the NPC and really setting the scene. And then my voice really doesn't really matter too much mm-hmm. because I've already established everything else. You know, I really like bringing in Darth Maul, but I can't do Darth Maul's voice, but I can go into a real description of how, you know, he's always pacing and he's glaring at you no matter what, even if he seems like, and if you throw him a birthday party, he's glaring. <laughs> if you bring him his favorite lightsaber, he's still glaring. Like, that's Darth Maul's face. I, I don't know if you've experienced that with worrying about voices or not. Again, I, I'm not kidding. I can't do voices. If if I if I do any, I try to make them humorous. I have a couple that I've pulled out, pulled off successfully, but both of them were silly voices. So they, they mm-hmm. worked. The fact, that, the fact that I'm not good at it kind of, you know, helps, but I can't actually do a good voice. So I, like you, I compensate. And I do other things so that I don't have to do voices. If I could do voices, I would. 100%. If that was a tool in my toolbox, I would absolutely yeah. use it. But it's not, so I have to do other things. Um, but what I was going to say about, um, you know, the tertiary characters or secondary characters is that what you can sometimes do is the Easter egg where the characters are directly related, but they don't realize it. And this gives you the ability to cheat so let's say they have to get a package, but you don't know what the package is, and you have okay. to transport it from place to place. The characters are successful. 
they get packaged to the place. Only then do they realize that the package was actually Luke Skywalker in cryostasis, or it was a hollow vid of the Death Star plans. Mm-hmm. So if they get blown up, it's just a regular mission. It failed. No harm, no foul. You don't have to change canon. But if they succeed, then they can later learn, oh, you know, Luke Skywalker miraculously made it to the negotiations. No one knows how he got there. But they saw him coming from Hangar 454. Like, holy crap, that's the, that's where we were at. You know, so you can work backwards. It, again, I, I say it's cheating, but I, I don't know, maybe it is. Because it may not have been Luke Skywalker until they succeeded. And now it is. And I, as a DM, think that's perfectly okay as long as you never reveal that to the players and they think all along, oh my gosh, this was crazy. We had this this whole mission. We never knew that we were that directly related to X, Y, or Z, but we were. So by kind of playing the cards close to your vest, you, you give yourself the ability to do things like that mm-hmm. without the uh, potential downside of saying, oh, Luke Skywalker's on your ship. Oh God, he's dead. It's, you know, there's a, there's a, a negotiator in a cryostasis on your ship. Turns out it was so-and-so, so-and-so. Absolutely. I do that too. The Star Wars game I run, I threw in the Easter egg. They captured some uh, separatist droids. They learned that there's a code that, that connects them all, but they can only affect small groups. It was one of the players that went, wait a minute. There was a Clone Wars episode where Luke had reprogrammed some, or not Luke, Anakin had reprogrammed some droids. Is this where he got the code from? And I'm like, Absolutely. <laughs> but I had a similar plan you did where if they couldn't crack the code, oh, well, they just couldn't crack the code. Mm-hmm. Knowing my players, they're going to just blow the droids up anyways. <laughs> I was half expecting them to do it anyways, but mm-hmm. they actually did what I, they actually followed the plan, which was very surprising. <laughs> which was actually against the plan because you didn't expect them to do that. So they yes. still didn't follow the plan. <laughs> I was very surprised. I was like, wow, I don't have to cross this off my list of things not done. So, do you like it when the players try to change the storyline, though? Or the, oh, the canon storyline? Oh, well, so can, well, again, it's because I don't, I don't have that issue because, again, I'm not playing in Star Wars that has all these movies and that kind of thing. Um, and Eberron, again, just use that example, it, it's part of the, the, the setting baked in that you start – at the same place, like everyone always starts right after the end of the war or the, the end of the war war's over. People feel like they're building towards a new war. So there really isn't any canon that's concurrent to your story. Everything that you do is canon in your world. The okay. past is the past. So unless you send them into the past, I don't have that issue. Comic books, there's there's no way, you know, you can't break canon because there's, you know, there's too much yeah. of it to go into. Uh, but if I was going to play in a like a Star Wars game, if it was a one shot, I would want to. If it wasn't, I would not. I would I would want to try to do Outer Rim, our own sort of legend version, so that you know it's just so far away that I don't have to worry about it. Okay, makes sense. I'm not a fan of the alternate universe games either. I like mm-hmm. to stick to the canon. Um, at the same time, though, I'm fairly flexible. You know, Marvel has got what fifty alternate realities, and oh, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I guess it really depends upon what your players want to do. Uh, I ran a game where players got to follow Luke Skywalker into Jabba's hut, and they got to watch Luke Skywalker kill Jabba, or Leia technically kill Jabba, but Luke, you know, rescue them. 
mm-hmm. was kind of fun for them because they just got to sit back and watch everything go on around and they got to help on the outside. So they still got to interact with the cannon, but not, not change it. So that was right. kind of I mean, neat. I, you know, again, kind of like your maintenance game on mm-hmm. the Death Star, you could have had, I'm just, again, completely just making stuff up, but like the Watchers from Buffy, if you're familiar with that. Yep. We learned there's a secret society that has been around watching the Vampire Slayers from the beginning of time. You know, we could we could create in our own version of Star Wars that there is some sort of secret society that has been like the Illuminati. They're, you know, they're, they're pushing things in motion to try to create a certain type of circumstance. So maybe they play those characters that are in the background of all these important events, you know, manipulating circumstances. So you could play people on the Java sky barge. Cause if you mm-hmm. watch that, seems like there's a lot of people not doing anything, not helping, yeah. you know, it so, seems like it should have been pretty easy to, for them just to blow everybody up. So maybe there's actually things going on that we never see in the show, in the movie that is because the waiter was actually the secret agent of this, you know, Illuminati type organization mm-hmm. and made sure that the guns didn't fire or made sure that this, that happened, you know? So you, like, you could put them in all these different canon moments like the greatest hits of Star Wars, right. and you're always behind the scenes. Just your goal isn't to kill Jabba; it's to make sure that Luke doesn't die. Correct. Yeah, and that's kind of what they were doing. They actually snuck on and took place of one of the band members, and yeah, it was it was it was entertaining. It was a very yeah. lighthearted game. They weren't expecting to be mass combat. They wanted to do the social manipulation around and. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts about maybe not going fully into an IP, but stealing ideas from IPs and bringing them into your home game? Uh, I do that constantly. Uh, movies, books, TV shows, everything. I'm I'm taking NPCs, um, plot points, magic items, concepts, and I'm constantly bringing them into my games generally they're unrecognizable like i i I convert them so far or they're so far removed from the source material that they at least i hope that my players don't know where i've stole them from but like if you took my way of my ability to watch tv i probably would stop being a dm because there's so many things i'm like okay i'm going to take this uh situation you know these two factions that are against each other and I'm going to just whole cloth put them into a D&D game, except instead of being the mob and this, it's the, you know, the, the D&D version of a mob. See, and I do the opposite. I bring things in, but make it so obvious players go, oh, that is this from this story, isn't it? Because I want to see, are they going to keep that out of character knowledge separate? Mm, okay. Uh, the last time I did it, I brought in uh, from the Dresden Files books. They have some coins that are the Order of the Black and Denarian. You don't want to pick one up because basically a fallen angel talks to you and convinces you to start doing evil things. Okay. Every character at the table had one fall at their feet within the game. They all picked it up. The coin started talking to them. By the end of the game, they're like, oh, this is great. I'll merge with you. And the one player at the end of the table was like, oh, no. I know what these are. Yes, I'll merge with it, but I know we're really in trouble. So to me, that's fun and that's neat. And I think it's fun for the players to kind of experience knowing I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to anyways. 
I can see that. I think like most things, it comes down to knowing your table, knowing your players. Mm -hmm. Are they the type of players who are going to enjoy that? I can see, and I'm not saying this about my players, but I can see some players going, oh, I know what that is. I'm not going to touch it. When in the fiction of the world, they shouldn't know what this is and they should have no reason not to. So is it, are they, are they buying into the fun or are they like, aha, I'm winning because I know what you're trying. So it just kind of depends on what sort of game you're running and your players and how they would feel about that. I think part of it for me, it's that reward letting me know as the game master, I've got them sold on the story I'm telling and I know that they're keeping that out of character knowledge separate because they want to see where the story's going. They're not metagaming it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a, I guess it's a cheap way I get a pat on the back for knowing I'm doing a good job. <laughs> hey man, we, we all did this. We got to get some, we got to get some sort of reward Pavlovian response for keeping doing this. And if it's just like a, the player smiling and giving you a bit of a nod and wink, nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think that's pretty much all the stuff I had jotted down for doing things in an IP. Uh, is there anything else you can think of? Uh, just sort of big picture. If you're going to play in an IP, it, and I'm, I'm probably going to say like three things different con- con- conflict, but there should be a point that you're doing it. Like if you're playing in Star Wars, it's because you want to play in Star Wars. So you can't generic it genericize it to the point that it's no longer Star Wars because then there's no point. So if you're going to play in Eberron, there needs to be enough Eberron-like stuff happening so that you feel like you're playing in Eberron. You don't have to do everything and, and, and pretty much you can't. Just like Star Wars, you can't play every story. You can't, you know, you can't connect to every story because there's just too much. But in whatever little corner of the world or, or universe you're playing in, there needs to be enough recognizable feel, moments, theme, tone, so that you, in the session, going, that was a Star Wars game, or that was a Star Trek game, or that was a Harry Potter game. So you need to make sure that you're giving enough of that so that your players feel that that's what they're doing. Because, again, I, I don't think there's a point in playing like it's generic kids in wizardry school <laughs> or it's Harry Potter. Right. You know, you're probably not going to be playing Harry Potter, Hermione and Ron, but you might be playing Neville and Luna and Seamus or whatever the case may be. Um, Or again, you could be completely different, you know, generations. But if you're going to be playing magical kids at Hogwarts, it needs to feel like Hogwarts or then there's no point in doing that. Uh, So just make sure that you have that feeling going in and, you know, talk to your players. If we're going to play in Harry Potter what is it about Harry Potter that we all love collectively that makes us want to do this? And make sure those elements are sprinkled in. For one, it might be the interaction of the muggle world with the wizardly world. For the other, it might be exploring some of the more obscure rules of magic that have been presented in the lore. I don't know. Again, I'm just trying to make stuff up here. But the goal is talk to your players to make sure that if you're all playing a game that you're using established IP, that you're getting the most out of it. Because... There's a lot of weight and responsibility that comes with doing this, but there's also a lot of benefit. Make sure you're getting the benefit out of it if you're going to go through all the trouble and hassle of having to carry that weight and obligation. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Absolutely. 
And I would also throw in, don't be upset if you don't get it 100% right. Oh, yeah. It's You're not going to get it 100% right. And in my opinion, that is because everybody kind of interprets it a little differently. Everybody sees Yoda as this wise, you know, mentor, where I kind of see Yoda as more of a political figure leading things the way he wants it to be led. So I have, you know, a different view of Yoda than other people. So if you don't get it right, it's okay. Just embrace it, have fun, and keep telling a good story. Again, different strokes for different folks. I can I can certainly imagine that in a Star Wars Star Wars world, there might be people who are really into the building of a lightsaber and making that a core part of their character, and another character be like, "Cool, found one." Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> so so you can you can feed different elements to different people. It doesn't have to be a universal experience for every player, but everyone's still playing in Star Wars or Harry Potter or Eberron or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And now it's time for our DMs Guild Spotlight with Justice Armin. Hey there, gamers. My name is Justice Armin. I'm a DMs Guild writer. Beetle and Grimm's Viking, and the host of this DM's Guild Spotlight segment on the RPG Academy. While there's not going to be a quiz at the end of this segment, there's certainly a recommended reading list. Each month, we're going to be highlighting some of my favorite products on the Dungeon Masters Guild, from adventures to subglasses to guides, you name it. If you're not already familiar with the Dungeon Masters Guild, aka the DM's Guild, It's a third-party publishing site owned by Wizards of the Coast that allows you to make money writing material for settings like the Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, or even Ravnica. You can find out more at www.dmsguild.com. Without further ado, today's spotlight is Terror Beneath the Frozen Gate, a Tier 1 adventure designed by Joe Rasso, Carl Resch, and Jeff C. Stevens. The adventure begins in the frozen town of Jarl, which has fallen under an icy enchantment. During the adventure, the player characters are tasked with determining the cause for Jarl's current state and putting an end to this icy curse. The adventure is well organized. There's a suggested character level advancement table, notes on encounter balance, and hooks to kick off the story. The designers make good use of bullet points throughout the adventure, which helps to break up the text, and each chapter comes with a chapter objectives section that helps the dungeon master stay on task. I like the formatting of items in the adventure. The designers put them on the page they're referencing, along with their properties in the sourcebook. The crystal fragments, which are a special item unique to the adventure, have their own section towards the back of the text. Similarly, Helpful elements like rules for webs or russet mold are included in the text for reference. I enjoyed seeing elements of the Forgotten Realms and their history in this adventure. There's a helpful history box on the Sundering, the Circle of Leth, and several ties to areas of the realms, such as the Great Dale, where the village of Yorl is located. Joe actually contributed heavily to the Great Dale campaign setting published on the DM Guild last year. It's nice to see him and his team strengthen the connections between his products and offer something outside of the Sword Coast. The cover by Pitar Penef is incredible and really helps to frame the tone of the adventure. I like that the designers also thoughtfully included an art listing in the back, towards the appendix. All in all, this is a great and interesting adventure that would go well in any Forgotten Realms campaign. If you'd like to branch outside of the Sword Coast but maybe don't want to try a totally new setting, Why not start with an icy underground tier one adventure? Oh, 
And did I mention that it features a delicious twist? Until next time, you can find me on Twitter at Justice underscore Armin. In the meantime, give Terror Beneath the Frozen Gate a look on the DMs Guild. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Justice. We'll see you next time. And now, on to the rest of the show. This is our Patreon question. It comes from us from Targris. Again, thank you so much for being a patron of ours through our Patreon.com. And Targris asked, what are some of the ways that you can help set the the tone or theme of a game? Now, if we're talking about Star Wars, like what are some things you can do away from the, like, like, so at the table level, not the game level, to make it help make it feel like a Star Wars game or generic, scary game, humorous game, um, dramatic. Can you think of anything or have you done anything that like play the Star Wars theme, give everybody a lightsaber? Like what do you do at the table to help put everyone in the mind of Star Wars? More with Star Wars, I just talk about what their knowledge of Star Wars is. And then wherever we're going to start, I let them really ask questions about it, and I really do a good job of painting a picture. Like, for example, if you're all going to be uh, mercenaries working for Jabba the Hutt, I'm going to take the time to explain what Jabba's palace looks like. There's always a party going on. There's always bounty hunters coming and going, and really paint the picture for that. I can't really do... uh, Some of the things I do, like... For horror games, I'll turn the lights down low. Usually I'll turn on the little fireplace I have in the corner so you can hear the fire crackling. With the horror games, I will actually do some sound effects with the uh, computer. Sometimes play some spooky music. I don't do that a lot with Star Wars. um, Mostly because it would just be quick little button pushes on the computer of, here's what a lightsaber sounds like. Uh, that in that case, I usually say, "Who can make a cool Star Wars lightsaber sound effect?" And every time somebody pulls a sound, yeah, <laughs> anytime somebody pulls out a lightsaber, I point at that person and they have to make the noise. Right. So, what are some of the things you do? Uh, so I don't do it a lot. I, in fact, I've only done it a couple times. But I do think music is a very powerful tool, and you know, I think something like Star Wars would be a great example because you don't have to try to find necessarily the perfect music for the moment mm-hmm. you could just like start the game every time with just sort of the the fanfare you know just like two minutes at the stop at the start of every game the dun, 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 and then the the crawl music crawl. and then just everyone's like okay we are in star wars right now just from that sort of muscle memory assuming everyone is you know into that world um, harry potter has some very iconic music that's that you know for it lord of the rings for like a fantasy game so just like a two or three minute you know maybe like while you're getting everything set up and people are still pulling out their laptops or getting their character sheets out just kind of have it going um i have used the lighting quite a bit and eh, that's an exaggeration i've used it more than i've used music you know turning the lights down low mm-hmm. um, one of the things that i do is just i try to measure how quickly I talk. I know that sounds weird because I talk fast and I mumble a lot anyways, but like if I'm trying to do like a scary game, you talk a little quieter and you talk a little slower and you, and you let things draw out. Like when someone says, I'm going to go through the door, you know, you go, okay. So you open the door and you, you just wait a few extra seconds before you tell them what they see on the other side, where if it's like a frantic action game, they're going to kick through the door and they're probably going to hit the orc that was on the other side, bloody in its nose. Now we're in combat. It's all very sort of frantic and energetic. 
uh, a game that I want to be more scary, I'm going to be a little bit softer, a little bit slower. I'm probably going to do more cuts. So, you know, you're, well, probably not more cuts, but where I cut. So, again, you open right. the door, then I turn to another player. What are you doing on the other side of the mansion, other side of the city? So that player has to sit in the, what's on the other side of this door in real life for a little while before I get back to them. Uh, one of the things I did once, which probably was mean, but um, this was back a long time ago when Evan like first started the podcast. Uh, I may have even mentioned it before, but I told everyone, I'm like, listen, just want to be upfront with you. I know you guys are kind of new to this game. There's a really good chance your characters are going to die tonight. Okay, mm-hmm. I, just want you, I just want you to be aware. You might want to have a backup character in mind. Just be thinking about that because I wanted them to be terrified that their characters were going to die. They were never in any more danger than any other night, but I brought the players to the point of every decision they needed to weigh because it could get their character. Because I'm not, you know, again, I'm not a big combat kind of DM, but I wanted them to think that tonight the combat's meant more than ever. So I kind of messed with their heads a little bit outside the game. You can't do that every time, but it worked pretty well the time I did it. I do that a lot when I run Shadow of the Demon Lord. That's kind of setting the the tone with the game itself. Mm -hmm. I guess I set the tone more from scene to scene. And I kind of do what you were talking about. If it's a fast-paced action scene, sometimes I'll stand up and its initiative is going to be quick. Who's next? Who's going now? Come on, let's go. Like putting that sense of urgency into the players to build the scene. Now, if it's a slower scene you know like they're all snipers and they're trying to make the perfect shot i'm going to go ahead and let them take time to describe it i'm going to take time to get to the next person probably going to describe things a little more in depth so i I think my main strength there is i go more scene to scene than big picture Mm -hmm. but you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that I like um, in some of the Savage World settings that I've played in is they give you like a list of terms or common sayings. Uh, so, you know, again, I can't do voices. I'm not necessarily going to do a great Western draw. I can do a bad Kentucky accent. But they'll, <laughs> they'll give you a list of like, you know, if you mean I'm upset, like this is the, the lingo that someone might have said in that time. You know, like uh, I can't think of an example right now, but basically like if someone's jackass they might say that's a five gallon man in a 10 gallon hat or you know his his spurs are on too tight or someone's saddled his horse the wrong way like it gives you a list of like sayings and slang that your characters can use to say the things that you would normally say to just kind of help sink everyone into that okay we're in this western setting we're in this uh mobster of 1930s yeah you see yeah sort of thing you know i can't do all those voices but i can use that the the terminology it it helps provide that so maybe something you can do for your own custom setting uh you know if you're playing in eberron for example i don't there may be one of these but like do you call gold coins something different in eberron and i literally don't know right now uh but like you know it's credits in 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 star wars star wars so making sure that people are using the right terminology not you know not to be a dick about it or anything but just like Mm -hmm. just try to help encourage them to use those words to keep everybody kind of in character as best you can around the table yep makes sense i like the old dragon lance where steel was the most important coin Mm. not gold that really throws players off or dark sun it's like 
bone like that i don't think there is any gold in dark sun is there uh water yeah <laughs> water and shade that would be your most important things in dark sun well targus thank you so much as always for listening for being a patron for supporting us with uh, the question we hope that we did some justification to it and uh as always throw out to our audience if anyone has had experience playing in ips uh, good or bad, please consider sharing those with us either on Facebook page, Twitter, or on the comment on this episode. If there's anything that you do to help set the, the mood at your table, please share that with us again, commenting on this episode or Twitter and Facebook. So, Chris, any last words before we wrap things up for the night? Make the game what you want and enjoy it. Jump into canon, whatever IP you want, steal the parts you want, ignore the parts you don't want. As long as you're having fun. You are doing it right. You're doing it right. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. And for everyone else, we'll give a wave out and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.